Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is the Risk and Reward Podcast. I'm your host, Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. And today we have a very special repeat guest. His name, some call him Justin, others call him J-Dubs. I might call him just friend. What's up, dude? Hey. How's it going? I'm very happy to be here again. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Thanks oh, yeah. For, I appreciate it. How's your day going today? Great. Yeah. Great. Weather's nice. Beautiful. This is the reason I live in Florida right here, sunny and 70. Amen. And literally, this could air at any point in time if people are like, yeah, it looks nice outside. Yeah. Uh, except for like a rainy day. Yeah. Or... Until we, if this airs in July, we're in trouble otherwise. Right. All you need to know, you're if you're a listener, this was not aired in July or September. <laughs> <laughs> so tell uh, tell the people who they didn't listen to uh, last time you were on here, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. Quick reminder, I live here in Lakeland, Florida and work for a company called Palmetto Capital Group. We're a real estate developer who specializes in working with national concepts um, and provide development services to them. So we're landlords for all the great companies that we love to shop at, basically, and eat at. Oh, yeah. I, uh, there are a lot of times I cheer you on. I mean, not just as a friend, <laughs> but I'm like, ooh, can I? I feel like I can give you special requests maybe to bring them closer to me. Like, hey, right. I, I don't know that guy, but he should be here. I'm also the unique person when a concept comes into town that I'm not a part of. Yeah. That gets depressed. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, man, I, that's so great. I can't believe it's there. And I'm like, I can't believe I didn't do that. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Why didn't I think of that? Or where was I when that was happening? So well, I'll take it's that. a double-edged sword. It is. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being on the line for us on that Thank one. Thank you. That's right. All right. So uh, our conversation led us to a lot of different places, and I felt like the the amount of time that we had on our last podcast was not enough. I mean, given I've been around you for a very long time, I mean, I still can't get enough. You know, that's I mean? great. <laughs> we'll see what the viewership does on this one as a second round, but right at in, least in here we're very happy to be talking. Yeah, I'm very comfortable. Yes, very comfortable. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so what I want to talk about first is. Um, is just what trends are you seeing post-lockdown? I mean, a lot of a lot of people are talking about supply chain issues. A lot of people are talking about just the way our life has changed from a, a work standpoint and a living standpoint. So what are some trends that you're seeing post-lockdown? I mean, we're reading some of these things uh, as far as real estate, you know, the, the resurgence of multifamily homes sure. after it had kind of gone down and and now it's it's back up. Um, you know, office space changing. What are, what are some things that you're seeing? Yeah. So from a retail perspective, I think we're seeing, you know, retail survived through that because they, they had to adapt and, and a lot of the core went online. And, and I think it people's behaviors changed. But I think you saw through the pandemic that sales were still good and restaurants um, learned to adapt and go to either food delivery or, or drive through concepts. And we kind of talked a lot about that last time. I think what's really fascinating as to what's pushing forward really aggressively right now is the service industry. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting micro economies of that are, or concepts of that are car washes. Ooh. I think if you go out and spend 10 minutes in the car, you're going to see a massive growth of car washes. I have, I have, and I just didn't know if we got a, like a bunch of Walter Whites in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> you, it's can't buy, you can't buy any more it's car washes. It's fascinating. So it's a really neat story. And I think the story that's being told there is the technology caught up with the idea. The idea is, I hate washing my car. Yes. And no one likes washing their car. None. I mean, there might be that one guy. But everybody hates taking their car to a car wash for a lot of reasons. Either it doesn't do a good enough job, yeah. or it's too expensive, or you like your car too much, and it's going to beat it up. That, that yes. Right? Yes. So it's kind of those, there's there have been all these barriers for something 
and, and frankly, it, for the for the operator, it was very expensive. So what's happening in these concepts is um, the technology is a, is allowing both the operator and the consumer to overcome those barriers. So it's getting less expensive. Yep. Um, especially with these subscription services they're doing now. Well, yeah, and I noticed that they're doing a lot of, as far as the automated ones, yeah. right? There's some, there is an attendant there that scrubs your window and scrubs your tires a little bit before you go into the machine. I don't know if that's there to make me feel better about shoving my car into a washing machine or if they're really like... There's science to it. So what that that is the technology side of it where there's been a lot of smart people develop a tunnel with yeah. the right amount of chemicals at the right time for the right amount of time that'll push you through that without have the, having the, the least amount of people touch it. So it's both helped the operator by decreasing the, um, the amount of labor that it takes, and it's helped the consumer by increasing the standard of what they expect to get from it. And, and there's a real science to that guy scrubbing whatever he's putting on the front of that will remove the bugs with enough chemicals but not hurt your paint. Or so that the the machine doesn't have to scrub it as hard or whatever that is. So it's it's been a real neat thing to watch from this side as somebody investing in it from a real estate perspective and and seeing that market mature and that concept mature and it's really uh, coming into its own. So uh, uh, th- there's a lot of profitability in them right now and I think they're that you're you're going to see a large as you drive around, particularly in Florida, because there's a lot of people mm-hmm. and. There's sunshine and rain 24-7. So yeah, up north, you you just don't wash your car for four months because there's always ice and salt and snow and I everything. Mean, and it's just going through a car wash is almost a, a necessity once a month instead of it's something that you want to keep your car nice. So it's very much a grass grows all year round in Florida and your car needs washed all year round in Florida. So there's a part of that that you're going to see a lot of growth down here. There's a lot of people. We also drive a lot more, I would yeah, imagine, 100%. because we don't have as much mass transit. In, true. In a, in, That's in also a, true in terms of there's not a lot of large uh, urban areas where people don't get in their car very much. But so the overhead has had to shrink on those. That's got to be part of it. Massively. So that, and I would butcher what percentage of overhead versus profit it is. But it, it's it's they're doing very good in, in figuring out how to get that to work, which is why you're seeing the, a lot of people want to gravitate towards the concepts and either develop their own brand or buy into the franchise rights to what these guys are doing so it's 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 intimidating um if you're not a car wash yeah because they are very aggressive in their real estate growth um and they're going to make they're going to make their presence known over the next i think year are they desired to be in different plazas you know because i've i've noticed they've come into other concepts so there are like out parcels of plazas are people are those places excited about having them there does it lead to more traffic or is it more of a blight yeah, so I, I would say it's a traffic generator for sure. So, so it's it's a quick destination, no different than it would be an oil change or where you eat lunch or um, where you get your hair cut or where you get your teeth cleaned. I mean, people have to do these on a regular basis if um, they make the decisions to want to have that be a regular part of their rhythm of their life. So it's going to be considered a traffic generator for somebody like a Lowe's Mm-hmm. Or a Publix, who somebody who needs to wash their car, but they also need to buy groceries for dinner. It's it's definitely going to bring some synergy from that standpoint. But some concepts don't like the noise, don't like the overspray, and that comes into the technology as well, where you can really reduce all that stuff and and not be a noxious, um, considered a noxious neighbor, or an annoying neighbor with those things. So. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a perfect storm of all that coming together, and cool. it's been really interesting to watch. Well, let's take a break real quick, and we'll be right back. 
All right, we're back. All right, so I got a question that's been burning up, uh, burning a hole in my head, burning a hole in my pocket. I don't know. It's one of those. It's burrowed its way in. Yeah, it's burrowed its way in. It's All been right. in there. It's been in there. Um, you know, so when when you're thinking about um, expanding and developing an area, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think more about bringing the people there to stay, right? Like as far as a dwelling or or is it more of bring what they want to be around and then the people will come and want to live there and then that's when you build the places in which they live? Sure. So multifamily dwellings in a downtown area. I mean, what what would that what does that look like from a development perspective? Yeah, so it's it's a a question depending on how you ask it, you get two answers cuz when you're growing a city out the people justify the places. Does that make sense? So the residential justifies the retail and the restaurants and the the third place that people are at besides work and home. So you have to have the people before that stuff grows. But transversely in downtown, the one of the two places is already there typically in a downtown, which is where people work. So there's there's three places where people spend most of their time at their house, where they work, and then the third place. There's a lot of theory on the third place. The third place can be where you drink coffee. It can be where you the cheers that you go to at the end of the day and have a beer. It can be the restaurant. It can be the park. It can be the library. It can be the place where you have bowling league, as cheesy as that. So it's it's really where you build your community uh, on a on, on the times that you're not at your house and you're not in at your job. So. From a downtown perspective, what makes it attractive for people to live down there is the other two places are already there because there's a real inconvenience that you're putting on yourself to live in an urban setting because you're, you're in tighter quarters, yeah. you're, you're, you're taking less square footage. But that's not the way that people look at it. They don't look at it as an inconvenience a lot of times. Well, they, because they have the other two places that are more convenient. Okay. So, the, so, the, so the weird dichotomy of that is that Either people are dealing with the – they either want more space in their first place, which is their house, so they deal with the pain of having to travel to the other two places, or they want the proximity to the other two places, which is their work and where they're hanging out at, and they'll deal with the pain of the, their, the place of their home being less. And the bigger the city is, the more important that decision is. I mean, so but somewhere is that- like Lakeland where you and I – probably live within five minutes of downtown at yeah. any given time, even in a rush hour. Yeah. That's a, it's a silly thing to give up living in a condo or a row house in downtown Lakeland and having no yard for your kids or your dog and, and having no place to park your car conveniently. It seems silly to give that up right now. Yeah. To be able to be closer to your job or closer to, cause we can kind of have our cake and eat it too, where we live. But in places like Tampa and Orlando, that 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 question's growing Where you in take, people's minds every or 30 minutes. day, yeah, or longer. Yeah, in D.C. when I lived in D.C. ten plus years ago, that was a huge question that my wife had to ask ourselves: was we can live close to where we want to hang out and all the cool things in the city, and be closer to our jobs, or we can spend an hour plus in the car every day and have twice the house, twice the yard, twice the everything but reduce our lifestyle as a result of gaining those things in terms of having a longer commute, being further away from those third places where it's actually fun to hang out. And 
Um, so, so but people, how much, how much of that has been flipped on its head with the pandemic? And it looks like now people are kind of flushed into secondary markets. Well, when you close those third places down, it becomes a, a, a less of a decision, right? But are, are, so, so, they, are, so when people have lived in San Francisco, for example, or New York city or whatever, and they say, well, you're going to work remote now and we've closed down all your bars and we've closed down all the cool restaurants and we've closed down all the places that it's neat to hang out at and throw axes and and do all these fun things that you do in a, in a vibrant downtown. Right. When you close those things down and people realize, oh, I don't really need those things, then it prioritizes the first place. And so what do you do in those first places in your, in your home? You build gyms, you build game rooms, you build theater rooms, and you, what do you need to be able to do that? You need space. And what do you seek when you don't have to go anywhere else? And you're on top of your family all day. You seek space. So, the 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 brain drain out of out of California, New York, and all these urb, high urbanicity places that are going into places that are more open and economical to live. And and you can have your cake and eat it too, where you can have these larger homes and still be in proximity to jobs and in proximity to these places you can hang out. Um, it's really a reaction to that. It's a reaction. The lockdown is a reaction to a lack of a. The expense of your home mm-hmm. and the lack of a third place to hang out at because everything's locked down. At, at its core, that's what people are reacting to. Well, do you see the retail market really shaking this up? And instead of looking at some of those more high urban areas, they are now looking more into the, the secondary markets. Have they changed their their view or their gaze? I mean, I'm sure it's dependent on who the retailer is and what their space is and what their markets yeah, are. Yeah, so the retail, retail always follows people. So... I think if you probably looked at a snapshot of Lakeland and the demographics of what it looked like when Lakeside Village was built, and we can all look at the 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 retail lineup of Lakeside Village when it was open, it was very driven towards just totally bluntly, like they'd even admit it. It was very driven towards a near an, an older near retirement female shopper, hmm. because that was the driven demographic. Right. That's when you looked at Lakeland through the statistics. That's, what, that's they what they saw. Now that might not necessarily been true, but that's what they saw. So that's what they were. That's who was confident to invest in placing a bricks and mortar place here because they felt confident that's who was going to show up and shop. I think our demographics would look totally different than that today. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you, if Lakeside Village went away and someone said they're building it, I think you'd have probably a whole different outlook on how you develop that center and who would show up and all those things. So, yeah, I, I do think that retail would look different in a lot of these places based on what's happening now with the people that are there because people are shuffling around. You know, they really are. And, and, and online's changing it too, for sure, where it used to take you and I 10 days to get something we wanted online. Mm-hmm. We can now get it nearly next day nearly i mean there's still some things that take a couple days but in a large extent of the things that you can't go to a store and go get you can nearly get it next day and so that brings me to another point that i mean i was going to talk about this later in the show but um the rise of the omni shopper right so the person that that goes and looks at it at a brick and mortar and then goes online and purchases it right so there's a couple of these things about how retail are changing you see them online are are is this just theory or people actually really submerging themselves into that type of activity? I think it depends on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, 
clothes are probably the the things that are either high, a high price commitment in what you're buying. Yeah. For example, you can go to Best Buy. You probably want to see the TV in person and see what the what it looks like. The quality of the television. Yeah, because everybody's been burned by buying a more higher priced item, and you're like, well, this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, the the funniest story I have in that was we had just got our new house, and I was like, man, this room needs a fan. But I, we didn't have a ceiling fan, location to put a ceiling fan. So I bought a floor fan. So I'm go, I went on Best Buy, and I was like, oh, this one looks good. And it's on sale. It's only like $15, and it's one of those floor fans set on the yeah. floor. Came. It was in a box that was about 12 inches tall. I accidentally <laughs> bought a desk fan that looked identical to the one that I wanted. And I just didn't know, like, and that's the kind of thing where you like, you, you, it's hard to replace seeing something in person and touching it and feeling it and the quality of it. And, and there's an experience to that, that people still need to be confident to spend money on something. Right. But most things aren't like that, you know, and, and I think where that's going to come is training people to trust online to get you what you want. I mean, yeah, that's, I think the, the... And that's true for, for, for food too i mean the the experience of going to the store and picking out your apple that you know is good or trusting somebody else to pick out the apple that you're going to be happy with or the box of mac and cheese or whatever i think we are at a pretty big inflection point of that trust cycle right of you know getting wanting the experience but at the same time trusting the process and it's it's been really interesting and i think some of the ways that online has somewhat taking some of that risk away is if you don't like it, just send it back for no cost. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when retailers have had to adapt to that where it would be another story is um, my wife and I bought a a chair Mm -hmm. and um, it was from West Elm. Really great. Uh, And we're big fans. It just matches the aesthetic of our house, all that blah, blah, blah. But we're like, we saw it in person. Yeah. And you were with us, and, yes, and we were like, "Man, this chair is awesome! We, I cannot wait to sit and watch football." In this I was thing. very excited about you. We bought it. it, and it landed at our house, and it was like the same. It, it was the name we we saw there, and we bought it, but it was like a one fifth scale of the chair that we were sitting in. For whatever reason, they had like a like an office oriented version of it that was a little more professional, right. a little more upright, less it's of for a the child recliner. Yeah, the child professional. And I walked in, and I felt like Andre the Giant. <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, that is not the experience I remembered in the store. But to their credit, they responded impeccably. Right. They didn't beat us up on it. They understood. And 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 that's a part of the to alleviate a pain point for the consumer of feeling like they have to go and trust have to go and not trust it online and go touch it, feel it. Yeah, see or it. that you're going to get stonewalled into your decision. You're like, well, I'm stuck That's with right. this. And all of a sudden you're eBay in a chair that you Yeah, like. so who has to take that pain on? The yeah. retailer does. The retailer has to take the pain on of saying, okay, we'll be there tomorrow to pick it up and credit you. Even though it sat in your house and and, and we were good to it. I mean, they nothing yeah, changed, but, but you just never know. I mean, you're putting this product out there. So they just have a lot higher burn of of and and loss in that probably as a result of mm. stuff leaving their purview and going to a consumer them not liking it and it coming back I, I i'm not sure how they're dealing with that but that's the i think that's the way that they're going to have to train a consumer to trust the yeah. online experience is to be okay taking it back if it's not exactly what they want 
All right, we're going to take a break real quick. All right, we're back. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting thinking about how much things have changed and how we have to be not not just as as um, consumers, but also how the stores have to be comfortable with changing environments. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, again, that's burning a hole in my head, right, is um, as traffic flows change, and I'm not take, talking about whenever they throw a road cone out. We talked about that last time about closing intersections and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, the city just made a decision. For, um but uh, that that would be funny, like if the politician didn't really like the business and like we're just going <laughs> to prevent you from going down this road. <laughs> a little vindictive. Um, I just made up a whole story. Uh, anyways, that's right. He did. I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that I've been affected by the close and <laughs> access or anything. Oh, uh, so what about the way that we are changing travel? And I'm not talking about uh, over state lines, but ride sharing. Right. I remember we were going to put the sun rail in. That was a big deal back in um, 09. You know, they, they were planning on spending a lot of money to bring in. And I thought, well, in Florida, it's kind of weird because then you're going to get to Orlando and then who's going to take you around? Mm-hmm. Well, now that we have ride sharing because because, um, you know, we didn't have Lyft and all and Uber and all these other companies to be able to take us to and fro different places. You just have to walk. But you have now ride sharing. And then even you go further into the city, you have scooters. Right. And so some cities have had fun. I mean, we've had a blast on scooters in different places, mm-hmm. uh, some close calls, too. <laughs> but how is and it looks like also, too, that there's cities that are going more towards foot traffic. So how what does that look like from a development standpoint? Are they embracing that stuff or is it, you know, is it just a wonky change? I think it's allowed in some cre- from a real estate perspective. Right. So we're talking bricks and mortar at this yes. point, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant or a store, stereotypically it's been if if the Griswolds are coming into town, right, how are they going to know we're here? Yeah. That's been the, the common challenge. Well, technology's changed that, right, so that, that things can become destinations that were historically, I want to make sure that I'm seen by, the, by everybody at the, at the largest intersection I can be at. Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of the of of the a lot of businesses still need to leverage that as a a spontaneous decision to to shop there or to eat there or to be there, whether it's you know a hotel on the interstate or a gas station on a traffic lighted corner or a fast food restaurant um, or a convenience store. Um, those are more impulse buys than they are destinations, but the the, the people who are destinations or service providers where it used to be I make my decision on how I buy my tires based on trusting the brand. Yeah. Now it's more or that the one I drive by every day and it's just ingrained in my head that that tire store is right there and, okay, I need a tire, I go there because I see it every day. Now it's I'm more sophisticated and I can go to the brand that – I think is going to provide the best service for the best price. So boiling it down whenever you're in a more metropolis area and you have these scooters and you have the ability to say, oh, it's a buck 50 to go a mile and a half down the road. It's just bringing those destinations. Right. So in the same closer. is true for restaurants. They don't need that restaurant doesn't need to be on the big corner where all the cars are. It knows that it can embed itself more in a fun experiential place and not be afraid it's going to get lost in the shuffle because 
there's more unique ways for people to get there. And there's more, un- not just, and not just that, there's more unique ways for people to learn that I am there, whether it's social media yeah. or GPS mapping or whatever, or Yelp or, or whatever. When, when you're at some, when you're someplace, you don't know where to eat, right? 20 plus years ago or 25 years ago, probably at this point, it would have been, well, let's go talk to the concierge at the hotel and they can tell us what good restaurants are around. Yeah. Now you've got 18 apps on your phone and five bloggers that are in the city and 10 people that have been there that you're texting with right now on where you should go eat yeah. or shop or whatever, that um, you've just got a lot more outlets for, for people to be com- comfortable with. The, the fascinating thing that I think cities are going to have to figure out to respond to, though, is the scooter the scooter oh. <laughs> increases because and in different cities uh, uh, you know respond to it differently and i i think the 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 most interesting experience that a city's had and that's nashville now Na- because yeah. nashville's changed so dramatically over the course of such a small amount of time it has yeah. it's just an incredible city that's done incredible things but as a result has had so much pressure applied on it with people showing up yeah um, and, and when, when that happens, the infrastructure that what happens to the infrastructure is really interesting. And that's, you know, the scooters have just been a real problem for that city. Yeah. People have gotten hurt yep. and they don't know how to police it. First, it was everybody on the sidewalk. Now it's nobody on the sidewalk. And how do you do this in a safe way? So, and I think the city's going, our city's going through that right now where I think they want to welcome them in and they're seeing an opportunity for it. Um, and I, I, it's going to be an over-the-time experience to see because I think every city's different. And there's no prescribed way of how it should be done. Well, what's really interesting is even looking back at the progression of this whenever it was the segue, and that was almost too early on the frontier. Oh, yeah. The, pro- the, the hard part about that is, you know, there's whether or not you own them or <laughs> rent them. Getting on a Segway was was it was a Mercedes Benz. It was a financial commitment. Yeah, I mean, it was almost as much as a car if you bought it, yep. and then renting them. It was almost as much as buying one now for an hour. Yeah, right. So it was it was almost a novelty as a part of your trip as an experience. And and scooters now, you either own one as a commuter, and and I think you're seeing them in city in in our city. Yeah. You're seeing people own them. Yep, which is I think. This, uh, the only sustainable way I think we're going to see scooters around here because I just I, I don't foresee enough demand on somebody like Lime or Uber or Bird or somebody to come in here and place an infrastructure of scooters in our city. I just don't think they'll see enough consistent revenue yeah. to have it be a, a thing that really impacts our city. But I think you're going to see an impact of people use them more yeah. as, as they're owned. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, I think, and, and knowing whether or not they should they be on the sidewalk or should they be in the street or the bike path or it's it's there's a lot of varying opinions on that. But I'm not saying it's taken over the world or anything, but I do think that those things are going to get bigger before they get smaller. And well, they change the landscape of a city. You well, know? I think it changes the landscape of a person. I mean, you could have two cars and a scooter, and then maybe get to and fro from a short traffic and work, you mm-hmm. know, short drive to work, but also. What happens if you just sold one car and it becomes more of a financial decision? I can ride the scooter and then we're not a two car family. And if it's raining, you know, you know, we'll just carpool or something like that for that day. Yeah. But I mean, you, you can kind of work that thing out to, to where it's, you know, it's less greenhouse emissions. I mean, it, it could be more of a consumer choice. It could be it yeah. could be anything. 
a really neat thing that Citrus Connections doing. I don't know if you've seen as the squeeze. Have you seen that yet? Uh-uh. Oh my gosh. It's a six or eight person golf cart. Yes, I that have Citrus seen that. Connections. Yeah, and they put the signs up. They're and driving the around, and it's a really neat solution to the trolley. Yep. Because, and it's another place where I think technology is catching up with the idea where the trolley was this gigantic. Yep. Investment with a lot of liability around it and overhead and and what's happening. What happened with that? It was just unsustainable. Where there, I, I I don't remember if it was a donation or if it was free to ride or whatever, but it was just hard to upkeep it for the demand. Well, you know, the it was a really smart idea to just throw a golf cart out there and and probably literally take that same path that yeah, the trolley was taking does. back in the day. Yeah, and I think it actually goes to more areas. Yeah, and I think it's a dollar a ride. It's a dollar a ride, and and they have an app, so you don't have to have cash or whatever, and the driver doesn't even have to interact with you on that, and. You just pay once you get on it and and ride it where you want. And I just think that's a neat way that we as a city that aren't the size of a larger municipality that can justify a, 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 a trolley or a bunch of ride sharing um, or uh, scooters to have people, once they get downtown, don't feel like they have to get in their car three times. Yep. Because our downtown still is a little more spread out in terms of where well, the restaurants are, where your office is, all that stuff. Well, I mean, think about Orlando. I mean, if you wanted to go between Orlando, let's say you were going to a show or a game at the arena, and then you wanted to have dinner in Winter Park, mm-hmm. right? How are you going to get, and that might not be a scooter, but how are you going to shorten that distance? And bringing it back to real estate, if you can move into a more desirable location that's more affordable, you can actually spend more on customer experience. For sure. So I think shortening those distances and not making it a giant move to where now I got to go pay for parking over here and over here, and I have to figure that thing out. That still happens, obviously. I mean, yeah, I, I, and I want to commend the joinery on on being a really great example of that, where they took a chance going out on Lake Mirror. Lake Mirror, I think, over fifty percent of the lake frontage is is municipally owned, mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of energy there. I mean, it's it's um, we've had a lot of office growth. Yeah. Um, but I, I regularly sit on that patio and am just fascinated about how well the joinery energized Lake Mirror. They just did such a good job on it. Yeah. It's and really brought a whole nother presence down because nobody yeah, went over that way. A hundred percent. And you just do one great concept and it just pulls and you take that energy and you can leverage it and do more. And I think you're going to see some of that over time on that side of our downtown. And, and it's just really exciting. That is. All right. We're going to take our last break. All right. We're back. So we're, we're, we're to finish this thing out. Let's, let's end strong. That's okay. the goal here. That's the goal. Perfect. I feel like that doesn't, that, in, that doesn't infer that we weren't doing well up till now. Right. Right. We just want to stay at the. At we want to stay at the level. Yeah, I mean, Got we've it. been doing really good. Okay, good. I mean, thank you. I mean, we are self-grading, so. But Again. anyways, all right, so got to hear talk the other night uh, with uh, Jeff Finnick, and it's really cool about what's going on downtown uh, Tampa and what he's got going on um, in the sense of cre- creating something that ultimately was dead. Mm-hmm you know, and um, revitalizing that area by purchasing up real estate and then repurposing it and creating an ambiance, really. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah. Uh, 
for those, I guess, who don't know, we, we had an opportunity to hear Vinick talk at the Catapult Awards, and um, he's a really inspiring guy. But it, the long story short is, obviously, he's the owner of the Lightning, if, for those who don't know. And um, I guess he bought 55. I'm, bur- I'm butchering the like, story. It's like 50 acres. But he yeah, bought somewhere miles. around 50 acres around the arena over the course of 10 years or so, um, right after he bought the team, and was not – it was not a driven real estate endeavor per se, but it was an investment in controlling the destiny of what happened around the arena. And one of the things he kept saying was, I see vision in this place that it's going to get big here and people want to be here. Which was really, uh, that's that was really neat of him to feel that way. Obviously, he had a large investment right next door to it <laughs> where he owned an arena and a hockey team right? and also believed that they were going to do great things over the next decade, which came to be true as well, but... Um, boy, did he have some headlines. Yeah. I mean, channel side was something that just was constantly challenged to co- like really get off the ground. Yep. And, and it seemed was... like the popularity of channel side went up for a hot minute and then just came to a halt. Yeah. It was really interesting. Yeah. And it's just, it, it was just a, I, I think you could do a whole show on why that project didn't work and I'm, pro- I'm not the person to have on it. Right. Sure. Because I don't know why. Right. But I think we but could all agree that. <laughs> that whatever happened there in the first run of it, it this did not do well. Right. And um, I think we could also agree that that he was buying things at a time where there was a massive amount of of depressed property, depressed property and inventory in urban settings, whether it was office or high rise residential and that kind of stuff. So I don't think he knew what he wanted to do there, which was which was kind of cool, honestly. Yeah, I think, he, you know, he just really was betting on a place. And also wanted to make sure that something didn't come across the street that he wasn't going to like. Yeah. You know, you don't want the I mean, Florida a... Panthers to build a rear <laughs> the street kind of thing. What do you say about that? <laughs> I'm choosing to ignore you guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but with that said, it was a good bet. And uh, apparently he's got a, a phase one completing. And when you drive through downtown Tampa, it, the you, know, you can always – you can always see growth in an urbanicity by counting the cranes when you're driving on the interstate by it. And um, the only place that I've seen more cranes in the last five years is probably Nashville, yeah. which had an unprecedented amount of growth. In and, Miami. In Miami. I mean, they're they're constant. They were constantly growing over the last five years, and I think Tampa's right there with it. And um, but Miami think, was not growing because of the Florida Panthers. It was other things. That's true. Yep. That's true. Let's make that known. <laughs> But I, I think Tampa's um, Tampa's having its opportunity to shine, and I think that's exciting for them, and and it's something that we can learn from as a as a community to say, you know, where if we want to bet on a place and we want to invest in land, where should we invest in that land, uh, you know, and and where should we lean in, and not not have a preconceived notion of what should go there. Well, I also think all, um, not trying to continue on with something that's not working. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, rethinking it, retooling it, because, you know, it's completely changed down there. It turned into both were events that you could go walk down there and there was something at the doorstep mm-hmm. where you could either go bowling or there were restaurants and there was bars. But now it's just a completely different feel down in that, that area. So... It's very similar, but it's also not. Yeah, and and, and Lakeland's finishing its first phase of something like that, too, which is going to be interesting to see what comes of it. And, gosh, it it must have been 
20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm aging myself. But I'd say 15 years ago probably um, when the city um, modified downtown with the, with the Bartow Bypass and, yep. and bought that 10 acres. I don't, I don't think they necessarily knew what they were. I mean, it's a different scale than 50, but it's the same kind of idea. You believe in a place, you want to invest in it, you want to control the destiny of what happens there, and you have one person owning a large segment of it. The city did that with that 10 acres on the bypass, and, and there was a lot of iterations of ideas of what was going to hap- happen there. Everything from entertainment uses and baseball fields, and there were, there were so many ideas getting thrown out there, High, you know, super intense residential, really low residential, and a mirror ten is what landed. Yeah. And I, I, it seems like it's a it's a great looking apartment complex and it's a single phase. I think there's a lot of opportunity to see what can happen around that as a result of it and yeah. it's bringing people downtown and it's going to be a driver for the other things that we've talked about in terms of bringing this whole conversation together. You've now got people living in downtown that more than likely work in downtown or work out of their apartment. Yep. Uh, if they're working from home, that are going to be wanting to get out of that apartment to look for a third place to be, and it's going to create opportunity for us to grow those kind of businesses. Well, I think it's the same like for that. what they're doing in downtown Tampa and what we're doing here. Ours is multifamily. They have multifamily, and they've got the JW Marriott. So they're right. both bringing people 100%. into that area and, and making it more populated. So before we end the show, just like I always do, um, what are you reading or what are you listening to right now that you like? Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to probably insult myself if I say the same books I said two months ago because I sure. am a slow reader. That's okay. Um, but Rocket Fuel is a book that I'm reading right now. It's a great business book that's about how to grow your company and the personality and skill set dynamics and how they interact with each other. And um, the book, the, that's my nonfiction book right now. Mm-hmm. Fictional book that I'm reading right now is Gray Man. What's that? It's kind of like the next Jason Bourne series. Okay. I guess. Um, who were the directors that did all the Marvel movies? Oh, there's a lot of them. No, like the two brothers, Russo brothers. Okay. Okay. They're taking that series and making a movie series with oh, so you're trying Ryan get... Gosling and Chris Evans. And this is how you'll learn. That's how my brain works. Is <laughs> I like I have to cast the book, the movie. No, I've done this game with you. And I I need to know who I'm visualizing as I read, and it gets me through the book. So, um, it's it's starting all right. We'll see how it goes and. It'll be fun to see it on the big screen with, with those guys telling the story. So what are you most excited about in your world or the world around you? Um, Coming into just, a new year? Yeah, new year. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. I mean, in spite of all the headwinds that everybody sees in the news, I, I, I think people and, and business concepts have a lot of opportunity to grow and, and to do some neat things. So um, I was thinking about it. So I – my son's turning has just turned 14. Oh, wow. So what that makes you think about is what's, what's he going to do? Yeah. You know, you, you go to these economic breakfasts that Allen and company puts on or the catapult awards and see all these entrepreneurs doing stuff. It just makes me sit back and say, I wonder what my kids are going to do. And then it makes you think, well, I wonder what I should expose them to or what kind of things I should encourage them to do now Yeah. based on them going to college in four years or thinking about what they want to do when they grow up. So that's kind of, this year I'm kind of excited about thinking about that with them and having them be test little things that they yeah. that they're excited about and and taking the things that they're they enjoy as a hobby and saying, "Well, what can you do to make money doing that and not just lean back and and, and do something you don't like and then wait till the weekends to do the thing that you do right. like." 
So that that's my mind's full of that right now. So we'll, we'll see how that develops and working it out in terms of my parenting. But mm-hmm. if we could get our kids to enjoy their work week just as much as they enjoy the weekend, that would be a huge success. It's huge, but there that is a tall order. Not many that people is. get the the ability to do that, and um, I, I would like to say that we're probably two that that get that ability, and I'd wish that on anybody because it's really special. Well, again, thank you guys for listening, taking your time out of your schedule. Uh, much appreciated. My name's Holland Henderson, a financial advisor with Allen & Company. Please go on our website at alleninvestments.com. Lots of great podcasts and blogs, lots of good material to listen to. Again, thank you, Justin, my friend, for Thanks being for part of this. It's always fun. Have a wonderful day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, registered investment advisors. Securities offered through LPL, member FINRA, SIPC.